former organ user, Brother Townsend, passed away in 37. And they elected me superintendent, and the, there wasn't enough money in the seven, 11 churches to support a pastor. And it was depressing days. We hadn't got over the depression yet, and uh, the Great Depression. And uh, I, it took the church and the district both to pay my expenses. So for several months, until we got more churches, built more churches, why, I had to do it all. Many times I left the church on Sunday night, drive to Los Angeles for rallies and fellowship meetings, and readings in the north, and uh, in order to be there on a Monday night, we built our churches on Sunday, and then on Monday night we had fellowship meeting or rally somewhere in part of the state. And uh, but God gave me a vision uh, under stress with other persecutors not wanting me to be Pentecostal Church of God and putting pressure on me, calling on me and committees pressuring me to uh, go another route. I got on my knees and wept before God and God said, you build a hundred churches between Oregon and Mexico and I'll put a church everywhere you build a brush arbor. And the Pentecostal Church of God, west of the Rockies, became brush arbor revivals. And every time I'd find a preacher to preach, why, that wanted to preach when he could preach a lick in the road, <laughs> I'd give him a brush arbor. Maybe you've never heard that story. I met a man that uh, sold me on him and his family. John Thomas. Brother Elson remembers John Thomas. How many others here remember John Thomas? What's your name? Oh, yes. Sister Little. I met him in a potato field. Have you heard of Jewel Rose? When I met Jewel Rose, he wasn't a millionaire. He invited me to a cotton field, and he was wearing bib overalls just out of Arkansas barefooted, out in the cotton patch, irrigating cotton, the other side of Wasco. And I was driving a new Buick, and he said, do you suppose God will ever let me drive a Buick, especially a new one? And I said, yes, 
just so you hang on to God, he'll see to it that you can drive something better than that. Now, anyway, in that potato field, I met John Thomas. And he, he said, he, he was a contractor of potato growers, uh, crops, and he had several families working with him that picked potatoes for 50 cents a sack. And he said, I wonder if I could find a cooler place to work. And I said, well, why don't you go to San Jose? And there's a place in San Jose that's uh, called Camel. Maybe San Jose is all around it, but you, it's inside of San Jose. And uh, there's a few people attending the fellowship meetings that uh, if you go to Campbell and find a lot, we'll help you build a church. And next thing I knew, he had pitched a tent on this lot. And he said, I need $50 to make the down payment, and then we'll handle the rest. And sure enough, I loaned him the $50. May have been the last 50 I had at that time. But we got the lot. Then pitched a tent. And after that tent meeting, I came over here and in the tent on a Monday night, we raised an offering to build the tabernacle. And we built a tabernacle with brand new sawdust floor. <laughs> and then finally, he said, Brother Corn, will you go my note and let me build a two-room shack? And when I got over here, he had four rooms built. <clears throat> and I think we ought to give honor to John Thomas. Uh, when he passed away, the children helped me put the obituary together. And John Thomas started 33 churches, 30 of them for the Pentecostal Church of God, and three of them independent. The independent ones was before he ever met the Pentecostal Church of God. <clears throat> but... Uh, I, I'm sure that his sacrifice, yes. for instance, yes. Sister Thomas, living in a tent, they had purchased a gas washing machine down in the lower valley, Bakersfield, Buttonwillow, McFarland, somewhere down there. They, they started several churches down there that, uh, in fact, we've got about 20 churches in, in this sixth central area that uh, the Thomas has started. 
they had, he, he had three or four girls, and every one of them was pretty girls. And I'll tell you, the boys flocked in to hear them sing, and we had church all the time. <laughs> uh, don't, it don't hurt to raise a pretty girl <laughs> as long as she stays right. Right? <laughs> you, you, you could almost hear this thing quiet down. <laughs> Uh, after John Thomas got a hundred in Sunday school, well, then they called my attention to it that uh, he, he was in trouble. And I, I, I came to see him, and I said, what's the matter, Brother Thomas? He said, God's stirring the nest. I've got a church together but I don't know how to take care of it. I can't keep from saying the wrong thing to the wrong person with the wrong situation. He said, God is getting ready for me to go somewhere else and build another one. And that's what happened for in his life. Isn't it amazing how some of us don't never know when God, God enough of us, but uh, I, I think of, I was thinking about the pre-pastors that had been in this vicinity and this church uh, in my days. I come to you, came to you as district superintendent. Then I was in the general office when it was broke. And I came by on my way to Mexico, and this church bought me a suit of clothes. And I said, what's that for? And they said, well, we don't want you to go to Mexico City and not have a new suit. Then when they elected me pastor, after I had did all of the dirty work at headquarters, <laughs> and a lot of it was dirt. <laughs> Always the mom. We we were operating in rented buildings. We operated with uh, presses that weighed tons on the main floor of a basement. Uh, 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 not of a basement, but a floor, floor of a two-story house. And we rented the house for $20 a month back in the Depression days. And every time that press would run, it would vibrate the building. It's a wonder to me it didn't fall in. But it didn't. God held it up until we could get out of it and move to Joplin. But uh, my interest in Campbell has been first, John Thomas, second, Ernest Dillard, T.L. Osborne, and it was in 17 years of age, T.L. Osborne was in the revival here in the little tabernacle. And he said, Brother Corin, I've got 
seven subjects, and I came here for a week for Brother Dillard's revival. And tonight is going to be the last night, and what am I going to do for a sermon? So I organized a, a Bible class and taught preachers that didn't know how to put a sermon outline together. And you, you can tell T.L. Osborne took that information that I give him and he writes books. <laughs> and I haven't written the book yet. The final thing about the gospel work, if you organize meetings, you go in and preach meetings, and you're the first on the ground, and you've held the first Pentecostal meeting in the city, and you are first in the, that kind of thing, it'll make, it'll give you a connection with that city that'll just be like a brother. I hugged Brother Nelson's neck this morning, and I said, Brother Nelson, I haven't ever haven't given you this kind of a bouquet, but you're the best deacon I ever had. And I imagine that all of these brethren here will say the same thing. Of course, he may not be a deacon anymore, but once a deacon, always a deacon in influence and prestige. I love you, Brother Nelson. I never thought you'd be alive. I came to Fresno three years ago three and a half years ago and bought a house there because I couldn't find one in Salinas that fit my pocketbook. And so I bought it there. I have three daughters living in Salinas and I, when I got older I thought that I needed to be closer to my daughters. They were driving to Fresno. Eva would come every month. Donna would come every month. Darlene was working and didn't have as good a car and couldn't come so much. But it, they all wanted to come. And uh, I just prayed and asked God to sell my house and uh, just to get over where they are. I just bought a mobile home and got out on the lake. It's Sherwood Lake, right there in the middle of town. And uh, they, they can go to work and stop and see me on the way and stop and see me on the come back. And all of that kind. So it's, it's lovely now. But when I came in here this morning and sit down back there where Brother Nelson is sitting, I could see...
the first time sitting over here. When I pastored here, she was ill all the time, deathly sick part of the time. She had kidney poison. Her father told me when I asked for her hand in marriage that uh, she wouldn't live to be 24. And I said, well, I'm in love with her. I, I want to be with her if she only lives to be 24. I want to live with her. So when I married her, when I could afford it, I kept the lady in the house to do the housework. I tended love and care. I kept her till she was 54. In the last few years, she was your pastor's wife. When I gave up the church, she was desperately ill, and it required eight months at that time for me to not do anything but take care of her. I'd take her, carry her from the bed to the table and carry her from the table back to the bed. And that kind of thing waited on her hand and foot. One night, I came to church, and I felt restless. I went home as soon as I could after service, and she said to me, she said, come closer. I can't talk loud and she whispered my spirit is soaring above the clouds can you hear the angel singing we sang that song that the angel sang at the funeral that uh, they called me to come to Salinas to build a church Sam Short, presbyter, said, we've got four or five families in North Salinas, and we want you to come and build a church. So I said, I can't. I've got a sick wife. I can't come now. And I was talking on the phone in her room, and she said to me, what did you say to those people? I said, I told them that I had a sick wife. I couldn't come to Salinas and start a, a new church. She said, you co you, you, you're going against your preaching. You told me that you preached. If you're 75 years old and you're needed, you'll go and, and, and preach it. Pastor, whatever the need is, and I said, she said, you go back there and tell them that you'll be there next week. And I, I tried to get out of it, but she said, well, then I'll tell them. <laughs> she said, I can die from Salinas, the same as I can die from.
Campbell, and no difference to me where I die from, but she knew that she was going to go pretty soon. But anyway, six months later, she passed away. I bought a new house in Salinas and couldn't sell mine here. And I waited a year to sell it. Sacrificed it for $22,000, and it would have been worth a half a million cents. Two or three guys. But uh, this coming today, I, I, Don Dryden represents the music of this church so long if he's as faithful as he is as he was when I was here why he represents that and I wondered if he would still be alive <laughs> he's a his granddad was general superintendent of the Pentecostal Holiness Church in Oklahoma. And I met him in union meetings in Oklahoma City, a prince of a man. He's from, well, he's just from, what do you call that, bloodstream? Whatever. <laughs> he's got to keep up the Dryden name. Right. Well, there's many other folks. I remember when Henry Little arrived here from North Carolina, South Carolina. Where was it? Louisiana. Oh, that's better yet. It's closer to Texas. <laughs> I am taking too much time. Jack Horton called me one night, middle of the night, and uh, he said, Brother Corin, pray for me. My arms are killing me. He had nailed sheet rock until his arms was hurting. And he said, I've got cramps in my arms. I said, Jack, you'll never be a millionaire. Driving nails. He said, what do you mean? I said, hire it done. Get you a job if you get a contract. I told him, I said, don't depend on your arm because you're only one man. If you can get the contracts for five men, let every man earn you a wage, day's wages for his work and pay him a day's wages. And if he can't do it, why? Adjust your wages. And first thing you know, I learned that he's working 10 men. And then I got news that it did 20 men. And then I 
The last report I had, why it was way on him. And God makes a way for a man that'll help help him. <laughs> but you gotta be on God's side. Isn't that right? If if you tithe, or you you got a better advantage. Why wouldn't God help you if you got if He got ten percent of everything you got? Why well, He's a big, as good a businessman as you are. Thank you. I think that uh, I've said enough, but uh, pray for me that I'll have patience to uh, grow old gracefully. of wisdom. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. And he's just talking about that thing of giving, paying your tithe, so let's just get in and do it. Come on, uh, ushers, and let's receive an afternoon offering. And I'll tell you what this is going for. It's to help uh, finance this meeting, help pay the bills, and our speakers, those that have been gracious enough to come. What a blessing they are to us. What a blessing they are. And uh, I tell you what, I enjoyed that message this morning. I enjoyed this history. I've, I've, I've often wondered, you know, some, I've, I've got some things from Brother Nelson and from Brother and Sister Little and others that have been here for a long time about the church and tried to, you know, maybe coordinate that, but we didn't get to coordinate it like we'd like to have had a kind of a little pamphlet or something, but it would have been good to go down and, and pick Brother Corin's brain on this thing here. And now, I, I, that's great. I appreciate it. And, uh, but we're going to ask you to give, and, and uh, in your giving, uh, it'll be measured out, made it out in accordance to what we get, and uh, divided. We made no promises, nor are we... We putting any strings on anybody. If you want to give a thousand dollars, two thousand, three thousand, we'll graciously accept it, <laughs> and uh, we'll see that it gets the right hands. There's nothing going to be retained other than expenses, and then the expenses, and then are actually going to pay the brother. We got a certain amount we want to give them, and then if uh, we have anything left over from that amount, then we will uh, try to uh, pay some of the expenses that have been incurred in getting things together. And I, I want to say this. Uh, the, one of the reasons why we had it catered, that we got to thinking about it, our ladies uh, are so good. And they were ready and willing to bring the lunch. And, and I don't know anybody can cook better than these folks here. And um, uh, everyone was ready to do it. But in the process, they would have had to do a lot of work. And then it had a lot of things. And they couldn't have made the visitation and when I saw him visiting around, I thought, thank you, Jesus, that we, we went this way. And uh, I'm so glad that they've had time. They hadn't had to worry about anything. And, and so we, we thank you for responding and helping us to defray these expenses. Brethren, will you um, get ready to receive the offering? And I'm going to ask uh, uh, Brother Corin again if he'll stand and pray over this offering this afternoon. Brother Corin.
I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never, never outlove my Lord. I want to live. I didn't do too good before then, but I'm not 25 anymore. I told Debbie I probably couldn't do this. I'm filled up to here. She wanted me to sing this song. I, I was going to try to sing another song, but she said she didn't know it. She asked me to sing this song. I, I wrote this song in 62. First time I sang it, Brother Pauls was gone to Mexico to see Skip. Klein helped me sing this song. <clears throat> In the middle of the song, Sister Paul's got up, gave a message in tongue, and the prophecy over the song. I taught Debbie to play the song in the hardest key, probably on the piano, and she's 14 or 15 years old, but I've changed it to G now. I may not get through the first course on this. If I don't, y'all heard me do it before, so don't worry about it. You'll have to tell me if I'm in key. I can't. I can't hear you. I'm so hard hearing anymore that if I get, if I'm off, stop me. The dawn melts the darkness. The sun fills the sky. That's just how sure Jesus loves you and I. The rain fills the rivers, the wind blows the trees. That's just how sure he's mindful of you and of me. I think of a true story of one from above. He died at Crow Calvary to show me his love. I think how he suffered that I
wind blows That's just how sure he's mindful Of you and of me That cross that he carried was more than he said, but he saw all my heartaches, he saw all my care. I know that he loves me and will through eternity. I give him all praises every time I see the dawn melt, the darkness, the sun fill the sky. That's just how sure Jesus loves you. The rain fills the rivers, the wind blows the trees. That's just how sure he's mindful of you and of me. Very good. Praise God. We got Louise Shatswell. And uh, I tell you what, this lady, could you assign her the task and she'd do it. I tell you, when, when, when we had a revival with E.L. Terry and uh, that tremendous revival, she, built, she, she made him a, a, a vest. And I said, I'm jealous. Lord, have mercy. I've been here, and your pastor, you hadn't even offered to make me a vest. I did it kind of kiddingly, you know. And the next thing I know, here she come with a red checkered vest. <laughs> hey, man, I mean, it fit, too. <laughs> and I wore it. But uh, she was, uh, she's, and when she conducted the choir here, she did a tremendous job. And uh, when we were pastoring in Visalia, we had uh, Bill and Louise and their family come down and sing for us. And I, I don't know when I've ever heard any better singing than the Shatswell family. And so I want Louise to come and bless us. I wanted to make sure it was okay if I give a testimony. How many of you were here when Gary was here with Bill in May? Is anybody? So you know Gary is in Yugoslavia? and you know Julie is in Hungary. Um, just an up-to-date, because I'm going to ask a special prayer for tomorrow. Tomorrow is a very important day for Gary. They, um, he conducted a family, well, not conducted, he taught morning sessions of a family life seminar just a couple months ago in Yugoslavia. This was because uh, a wife of one of the pastors had started a GLOBE meetings. The women were coming. They were giving their hearts to the Lord. Their husbands were interested, and there was no place for the husbands to go. So they formed this family life seminar for a week, and the women were able to bring their husbands. 
And uh, they asked Gary if he would conduct the morning sessions teaching apologetics, giving evidence of the gospel. And he said that, he said, Mom, he said it was just incredible what God did that week. He taught each day, building on the other, evidence of creation, evidence of God, evidence of the Bible as truth. So that at the very end of the week, he could say, and yes, Jesus is the Son of God, and that's why. At this seminar was a government official, the Minister of Religious Affairs. Now, if you're aware of the situation in Yugoslavia, this government is what's causing all of this war. The communist government of Yugoslavia is hanging on to this war in Bosnia and in the other areas. And he asked, he, at the, he asked questions after question after question. And Gary said that God just enabled him, anointed him to be able to give the right answers to the questions that this man was asking. They are writing a new constitution in Yugoslavia, and he was doing an evaluation on the religions of the country. All that to say that by the end of the week, this man and his wife and his daughter all gave their hearts to the Lord. <laughs> oh, but it gets better. They, he asked Gary if there was, he said, if there's ever anything I can do, if you need visas, if you need anything, just let me know and I'll help. And he said, I'd like to get together with you and talk to you to get your ideas on what we can put in the Constitution to make it beneficial for the people. He also asked him, there's, this is in Belgrade, the capital city of Yugoslavia. He goes there tomorrow. He has been invited by the government, by this government official, to their government offices to give a presentation of God to the government officials. That happens tomorrow. So I really covet your prayer he said, Mom, I'm only 23. Well, he's 24 now, but he was only 23. He said, I don't have a degree. He went to school five years, and you, um, you know what the problems with his lungs? He never has gotten his degree. He, he said, I don't have any, no papers, no nothing to show anything. But he made himself available to God. And then he told me, the last time I talked to him, he said, you know, he found out that if he had had a label, a church label or any kind of a label like that, he would not be able to do what he's doing. You know, so all the years of wondering, why, why, why is this happening to me? Maybe, as Esther said, for such a time.